Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose, going to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations, going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Uh, our guest today is one that we've had before. He and I have uh, maintained communication over the last couple of months. Uh, he's an awesome dude. He is filling in for me because I had a no-show, and that always hurts the heart, but uh, he's here to save it. Forrest Cooper, how are you? Haas, it's great to have you or ha- be back on your show. I think the last one that we did was it was very respectful, so thank you very much for inviting me back on the show. And, and so thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Uh, you and I got hooked up through uh, Jared Arsenault uh, of OTG. Uh, hell of a guy. He's got a hell of a company. They they are running their asses off. Um, it it seems like so. Yeah, he's he's one of those people where I I, I if I want to call him a friend, I know that I'm stretching the term because I've I've known him for a while, and that's out of respect, not out of disdain. But I'm very glad to see him succeed. It's good to see him making some movement with what he's trying to do there. Yeah, no, he he he's awesome, and and you look at him and. Just seems like a giant. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Jared. We're here to talk about Forrest. Um, he and I connected. Uh, he connected you and I. Uh, we had a really good conversation. Uh, he told me, I remember him telling me, uh, he said, do you, you think I'm cerebral? Here's a guy named Forrest. <laughs> um, he said, you want a guy that goes deep? Here's Forrest. And so that's why we connected. And uh, we got deep on the first podcast. And a lot of people listened to it. A lot of people that I didn't expect to listen to it. Some people that you didn't expect to listen to it, actually. Uh, and it was, it was a good pod. And so, uh, I saw you active on Instagram. I saw the little green bubble and I had just been stood up by a, by an awesome guest. And I was like, let's see if Forrest is on you and I've been wanting to get back on for a while. Uh, and so I'm glad that we were able to make it happen, but, uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah. And it's been a bit of a summer since you and I talked last on a show. And so I'm glad, I'm glad to be back here though. It is. It's like, it's, it was, I was kind of looking forward to when we were going to be able to do this again and expecting it to be later in the year, but this is an opportunity that we'll take. So seize the day as, as they say. Absolutely. So uh, I do want to get a little bit of rapid fire in. Um, let's uh, I, I, I say rapid fire. I, what, what happened? And if you can't say it, uh, that's fine, but you wrecked your bike. Did you not? Yeah, so I got my third motorcycle wreck this summer, and calling it a wreck sounds really dramatic because I basically crashed at about 30 miles an hour because of a, a maintenance issue. And we can we might be able to chalk it up to user error, and we might be able to chalk it up to some issues with the bike. We're still undergoing diagnostics, and so I'm not going to withhold anything that goes on. But what it does tell me, you know, and it, the only thing that it's worth communicating is like if you ride a motorcycle, you are going to pay that toll. It's there is the phrase that goes on in the motorcycle community. It's not if you're going to crash, but when. And although there are plenty of riders who have never wrecked, it, it just it comes into that's part of the game. Like if you're going to ride the bike, you have to take that risk. And one of the ways that you mitigate risk is you do a lot of proper maintenance. And it's easy to think that maintenance consists of things like checking your oil and changing your brakes out but it can get a little bit more detailed and as hard as I have ridden in the past. Um, I'm thankful that this one wasn't too bad, but yeah, no, my, uh, my grandparents actually, it's, it's kind of funny because they are, uh, they're like the sweetest people ever. Well, sweet is it. That's a funny operative word there, but 
there there are the uh the typical you know texas like retiree you know couple one of them works at a hospital one of them worked for the federal government for a long time and so um but they they have a harley and you know it, it's just funny but they uh they put a lot of miles on i think he has uh, a bike that he bought from my dad he only owned it for i want to say probably eight years would be i think it was eight years before he got his new one and he put ninety thousand miles on it i think um and which i from what i'm told is a lot um that's, not, that's astronomical for most riders yeah okay is, yeah well that is a well above and beyond what most riders put on their bike he has laid it over four times um i've watched him drop it in a parking lot which is funny um that that one was funny the other wrecks weren't but he actually had one big one where he wasn't even that far from home and uh he laid it over uh some pickup truck had turned over you know turned in front of him and he had my grandma on the back uh he had to lay it over and from what i understand he had a compound fracture like right above the knee uh i remember him being on crutches for a long time and it kind of it, it it sparked my love for motorcycles and then quelled it really quickly <laughs> before i could ever actually get on one <laughs> But. Yeah, it's it's to say that I'm now quite a bit more of an experienced rider than who I was 10 years ago is saying something. But I have been riding for almost exactly 10 years now. Right. And in that 10 years, I've had a, a head-on collision where somebody made a left turn in front of me without, without looking. That's exactly that, what it was. And that could have been really bad, but I didn't hit a truck. I hit a Prius. Um, and that one turned out all right because I had no there. It was I was not in I was in a no or um, I was in a state that adjudicated it very quickly and very cleanly. The guy who made the mistake completely admitted it right away. He knew he exactly like there was nothing I could have done. Right. Um, I was in the right. He was in the wrong. I guess I could have just not gotten out of a, on a motorcycle. But that's like a horrible way to litigate anything. Yeah. The second one, um, I blew a tire and or at least that's what we think. And it caused a high side, which should have been extremely lethal. But I, I walked away from it with a cracked shoulder blade. And then this last one, I was riding home, similar story, except for I wasn't just a mile from home, but I was riding home and I got the wobble in the front end and and I was able to slow down enough, but it ended up locking and throwing me down. And it was I was moving slow enough that the, the damage wasn't wasn't really that bad. I was able to kind of pick myself up, dust myself off. Um, I didn't even really investigate too many of my wounds, but I did your, you know, your checks. Okay, my shoulders work, my arms work, my feet work, my brakes work, my my pedals work, my Levers work. My handlebars aren't twisted. My lights are on. Okay, I'm good to go. By then, somebody had showed up, and they're like, "Are you all right?" And I'm a little groggy, and probably the if I, if I was in a if I wasn't a little bit concussed, perhaps I probably would have made a different decision. Maybe had somebody come pick me up. But at the same time, I was pretty close to home, so I pulled over into a gas station down the way, rested for about 20 minutes, let the adrenaline cool down, make sure nothing like no as the muscles relax, no bones were like, "Hey, you're not working anymore." And then I drove the remainder home and I started picking gravel out of my wounds and I've got some scars to show it. So it was like cool. it was the next couple of days were very painful, though. And it was humbling because I it was a very humbling experience because you you remember that you are mortal even when you feel immortal. And that sounds cliche, but when it happens it can shake you up pretty bad. But then being stuck on the couch for being basically being a homebody for five days without being able to do anything led to a lot of soul searching of like, okay, what are you doing right? And what are you doing wrong? And where are your priorities at? And so on and so forth. So, yeah, that seems like one of those, uh, divine intervention, maybe like a tough word, but 
at the very least, as I become more religious, coincidence, the word coincidence uh, has less and less of a place in my vocabulary. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but uh, it does. It does. I mean, it, 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 if nothing else, you can recognize that whether or not the events that took place had no correlation or causation, there is still some something that knew that they were going to happen and knew where when they were going to happen in your life. Yep. And so you could say co coincidence starts to evaporate. And I don't want to completely throw it out the window, but that kind of goes back into the whole purpose of like, if my if I truly believe and my goal is to pursue God and, and try to understand him, preach his word and and serve him and and also which is honestly the hardest for me enjoy god and enjoy him all of my days and I'll, I'll admit that's probably the most difficult for me um you realize that like your heart is full of darkness and it wants to attach incorrect significance to certain events so that may, that, that makes a lot of sense um so let's go ahead that that kind of uh how do you how do you say that transitions us nicely uh into a discussion about uh your purpose neither of you could neither of us could remember exactly what what you had said on the first podcast but you explained it pretty well uh before we hit the record button for this one for this one so why don't you go ahead and restate your purpose or at least as you know it now for the for the listeners yeah so when we were talking about purpose on the last episode i remember us talking about telos which is sort of the end what is the end the end goal what is what do, what do things conclude and so as a Christian, I am convicted by my beliefs to continue saying that my purpose is to follow God, follow his edicts, pursue him all of my days, preach his gospel, and enjoy him. And so those are things that have undergone some review in the last couple months, partially from the motorcycle accident, some other cases. But when it when it comes down to it, I, I've had a difficulty lately recognizing that in some ways, if you want to talk about Jordan or Jared's conversation or um, description as being cerebral, it's that like a lot of my relationship with God, a lot of my Christianity has become had become a little bit religiosity ish, where it was like I, it was it had become distant from me, and now and so that is what a lot of this hum, the humbling of this summer has been has been being reminded and returned to. Um, it's one thing to believe in God like I believe in the planet Pluto. It is another thing to pursue it like it's something meaningful. And so the purpose it hasn't changed. I'm I'm just in prayer that it has con that purpose has continued to cement deeper within me. Yeah, I have not, a few. I'm not Go saying ahead. it's. I'm just. I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, we we. Uh, you know, for those who listen, who are thinking, well, it doesn't click. It's like. Man, it's hard, but we yeah. do it anyway. So, so um, I have a few questions on that. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm kind of diving into the Christianity and religion thing over the past couple months, and uh, going through my theological paces that I would like to think that everybody goes through. <laughs> um, just you know, slowly entering and beginning to understand and and ask uh, a lot of questions. But so let's talk about. You, you had said, you know, pursue God all your days and, and you stated your purpose. Um, I just recently been confronted with this idea of, of the great commission, uh, which I believe is to make disciples. Um, is, is that correct? Yeah. Go, go for the make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the son of the father and the Holy spirit. Yes. Okay. Is that something? So 
when I entered this whole thing, uh, and actually in between the time that you and I had gotten talked or that, that you and I had talked on recording, you knew this, but we hadn't recorded it. Uh, I I've been saved and I, I wish I remembered what day it was, which is, you know, some people do that. I, I didn't, but I don't, um, I don't, um, I had gotten saved and did that with the, the pretense that, and the understanding that that came with no strings attached. That was the whole nature of the, of the agreement. Um, then they hit me with this great commission thing. And, uh, what is, what is that? And I'm intentionally being a little bit dense because I think I already know where I'm going, but, uh, this great commission, are we required to go and make disciples? Are we called to go make disciples? Um, is it, is it a matter of, uh, salvation? There is, um, Okay, so the the theology, the soteriology, soteriology is another theological word, soteriology, and it refers refers to um, how do we understand salvation, and how do we understand what salvation is, and then there's a bunch of big theological terms. You've got salvation, sanctification, glorification, and so on and so forth. But the big one is uh, that it comes down to salvation is there's a difference between commandments, being commanded to do things, and how that relates to your faith. And how that relates to something like, you know, we call salvation. And salvation itself is, at its not at its core, it begins with the begins with the acknowledgement that one is not capable of producing it yourself. So there's nothing that we can do. We can't do enough good deeds. You can't fix a magic word, do a magic spell, anything of this sort. You can't really produce it in yourself. And we realize this day in and day out. Uh, as the more that we desire to do what is right, the more we recognize how much is wrong within us. And this comes from the book of Romans, which I've, I've thankfully recently been able to read again. I'm actually new... reading through Romans right now. I just started Romans one yesterday. Yeah. So I, I'm very, I'm, I'm in some sense, I'm a little envious, maybe not envious is the right word because of its implications, but um, I've, I, I grew up in the church. So I've read Romans many, many times even memorizing some, some portions of it, but it had become foreign to me. Foreign in the sense of like, I know it, but, you know, and so this is like, with these events going on, it's been humbling. And Romans talks quite a bit on the mechanism of faith and that we are all sin, we have all sinned and sinned is this sort of shortcoming and that no one can overcome their shortcomings. No one can become perfect. There's no way I can live perfect enough to be worthy of salvation. And so, we are yet finding ourselves humbled, broken on the ground with nothing to hold us together. And in that state of brokenness, Christ died and his death was some was a, a combination of atonement and sort of a reaching out and say and, and paying for our crime, our sin, our, our insufficiencies. And so then that becomes humbling because not only do you realize that you couldn't have done it yourself, but the thing that the the being that is holy chose to by choice, like by absolute choice chose to make a way for us to be reunited with the source of life and the source of hope and the and the source of goodness and so with that with that happening um you know so so we don't actually affect our own salvation we don't actually do it like if i let, let's uh let's use like a, a cultural relevance in our day and age is like if i get a license to carry a firearm there is something that I did to be worthy of carrying that firearm. Whether that, whether or not that's legitimate is not the question that we're having here, but we're using that as a frame of reference. Right. And so, um, so if I do the thing, if I do the work, 
if I study the degree and I write and I pass the tests, then I get the reward. But there is none of that in Christianity. In fact, it was that you can't possibly do it. But somebody came down and said, I'm going to make a way for you to receive the blessings of doing such, which for some people seems to offend the kind of cosmic justice that could exist in the world. But they quickly forget that the author of justice, God, chose to make a way for his people that he has chosen, which again comes from Romans, to live in his, to be reunited with him. But with that, then comes the question, well, then how, sh how then shall we live? And that's where you see a lot of what Christ is talking about. And you even see later in the New Testament through Paul and his letters to the various churches in this. And there's this compulsion to say, look, let's even go back to the Old Testament. And God gave us the Ten Commandments. And he gave the Ten Commandments to mankind, knowing that they wouldn't be able to follow them perfectly. But now that we are saved or even before so it still is in our not only best interest but an imperative placed upon us to do so so in other words if i couldn't possibly before salvation or before even the before baptism it's not even the physical baptism alone i that that's the, there's a theology element of that that i'm not going to say i'm particular on um before salvation, before Christ basically saved us, there was no way that we could even do that. Because if I do what is right, but I don't do it to glorify God, then what I am doing is only to glorify myself. So even if I donate food to the poor or give bread to the hungry or whatever the example of the most stereotypical good deed is, if I'm not doing it specifically to glorify God, then it cannot be credited as righteousness. It cannot be considered good. And so outside of salvation, I can do no good, but inside of salvation, I am sort of, I am compelled to do what is right by commandment. And so even though I live in a perpetual state of knowing that I cannot be perfect, I cannot be the perfect man. I cannot be Jesus Christ. I cannot die and resurrect by my own power. It is still my, 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 kind of burden of being alive to try to pursue that as best as I can. It's the same way that you see this reflected in families and in relationships. And you see this in friendships. Let's just say your relationship to your wife. I can't be the perfect husband to such an extent that I am the right amount of in charge or, or, or committed or uh, compassionate, or I could make more money or make, spend less time at work or whatever I can know it's not possible for me to do that absolutely perfectly. I cannot be the perfect man who is in perfect health and intelligence and everything, but it still is it is still my responsibility to pursue it and pursue it in consistency. And so therefore we run to the great commission and Jesus compels his believers, the people who have been saved by him to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And on the one hand, this sounds a little bit like proselytizing, like I'm trying to go out into the world and say, well, you need to be a Christian and I'm going to make you into a Christian. But we also recognize that by understanding that we are not saved by works, but by grace, it is more like I, I want to go, pro I proclaim the good word in, in ways that I can so that as people are called to God, they have, you know, we have community to be involved in, but also so that there is the 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 uh, the church on this earth. And so if I were to go to a friend and say, I want you to be a Christian, of course I want them to be a Christian, because if I actually believe this to be true, why wouldn't I want them to believe it? 
Like if you believed that there were, you know, the earth was flat and I believed that the earth was round and I believed wholeheartedly that the earth was round, I would want you to believe that the earth was round because that's true. It doesn't mean though that I can torture you or play cruel mind tricks on you or convince you with fancy rhetoric to like agree to my statement because it just it, it 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 would be a false conversion if i put you on a torture rack and started cutting off your limbs until you said jesus was lord the the conversion would not be genuine and and, and so what and i so i would I, I would be doing something horrible and so what i believe that the great commission pertains to is that one we need to be, you know is is a call to community and building and so that while we are sinners, we are yet saved by grace. And so by grace, we try to live as Jesus would towards one another in such a way where we treat each other with absolute conviction and passion to say, I want you to believe what I believe. But I, and, and we recognize that as mankind, we cannot force each other to do it. So we are only there to proclaim the gospel. That's kind of, yeah. It's a okay. big, long-winded way of saying a very... Very, very like uh, you asked a question that is quite possibly one of the most central to Christianity. So. Yeah, that that's kind of I've I've noticed my ability to toss a hand grenade into a small room uh, is is quite great <laughs> when it comes to theological questions. Um, when you're sitting at a you know at a at a a chill Sunday school or uh, you know a men's accountability night or something, um, I think of those questions that kind of blow the room up <laughs> um and it's it's to me it, it does seem like one of those uh one of those advantages of being new to something you know of being able to ask those great questions that like i said hopefully everybody's been through before but i do yeah. have um i do have a couple of different questions for you number one um that, that that stem from that number one you seem to be able to i know i know you've probably been reading the word for quite a while much longer than i have at the very least uh, but it's, it's about how to read the word. And there's, there's a different, there's a couple different things that I run into. Uh, and I mean, I just started. So, uh, but these are just things that I'm, I'm just now noticing. Uh, so number one is going to be, uh, how to read because, and I've got a specific example, uh, that's in Romans, uh, Romans one and two. So number one is how to read number two. And that way you can kind of stew on these. I don't know if I want to um it may it may maybe advantageous it may not be but uh does god this is this is the the question of framing does god make mistakes uh surely not man surely not mistakes of mankind but does god make divine mistakes does god have realizations what i'm really trying to get to is uh was jesus christ his plan all along like why there there seemed to need to there seemed to be a need and he seemed to fill the need. And what I've had a problem with lately is either you have to like, somebody needs to justify to me why old Testament, if Jesus was always the plan and if not, why old Testament of Jesus was always the plan. Is it not possible? God to me, if, if the old Testament wasn't the plan the whole time, then God had to have had an aha moment. Like whether you call sure. that, a mistake or a realization or whatever it, it needs to be. And and that, that goes into this question that I've got of, of does God actually work through sinners um, post death through Christ? Because you hear a lot of 
oh, he may be using this person in your life to do this, or he uses this person in the world to do this. Um, he uses sinners to, for his will. I have an issue with that. Um, so that's where I get to that question is, can he make realizations? And that goes down a wormhole. But let's first talk about how to read. Um, so reading the Bible is difficult. Uh, number one, because there's a lot of context and yet so little. Um, there is, there's a lot of context in the word before and after. So you can't open up first Romans and read it in a vacuum. Number one, I don't, I don't think you can. On top of that, even if you were to read the whole Bible front to back, uh, I know this is the word. I know this is the truth, but the truth was still written in a, in a, in a time, you know, if you use the meme of we live in a society, the word was still written in a society. And so like some of these interactions, another thing that I kind of have an issue with is that some of these interactions, like we talked about, uh, Jesus healing the leper. Um, okay, you took what surely took at least more than five minutes in real world time, I would think, uh, for Jesus to heal this leper, and you put it in a paragraph. I understand the need for that because the Bible is large. <laughs> it's it's large. Um, but to me, not only is there context, not only is there written context on either side of that, but there's context in the moment. You know, Jesus was fully man. The things that he did were fully man. And so to me, that tells me that if you write this interaction down in one paragraph, you have nonverbal communication that is missed. You have, you know, we're reading it in our society. They're writing it in theirs. You have language barriers. So that's, those are, that's one issue I have is the contextual issue. And I'm looking for advice on how to get around it. The other issue I have is contextual, but how do you deal with some of the the more shocking imagery that can pull away, it, it, it can pull away from the the harder hitting lines around it. So l- let me say this, when you read through Romans and you read 126, and all of a sudden we're talking about women having unnatural sex and men having unnatural sex, like I understand what they're talking about, but it, it can be a bit of like a, a jolt, you know what I mean? Of like, okay, mm-hmm. why are we, why are we talking about sodomy? I'm assuming, you know, like, Um, and there's multiple places in that, you know, just next in Romans two, now we're talking about circumcision. And, you know, for me, I kind of worked that of like, okay, we're talking about some sort of law that they used to follow that law represented something. Um, we're not talking about circumcision. We're talking about this law of man that represents your faith towards the religion, I guess is, is the, basically the way I took it. But do you have any tools or tips for people that maybe aren't as, as used to reading some of those things is what I am. Cause I, I read a lot outside of the Bible to, to get the most out of the Bible while reading it with the two issues that I've displayed, kind of the contextual issue. And then just the, not necessarily obscenity, but do you know what I'm talking about? I think, I think I do. So the start is to address posture is, and there's a term that's used in, in theology called eisegesis versus exegesis. And a fancy way of saying it, are you, are you trying to read your contemporary impression into the scripture? Are you trying to read it in your own, like your own worldview, or are you trying to have it correct yours? Am I, am I trying to read something into the word or am I trying to understand what is coming from it? So if I'm reading a passage, right, if I'm reading, let's even talk about Romans again. If I'm reading a passage about circumcision, I'm trying to figure out what is he saying that is true, not which parts are true and which parts are false, but what is the truth claim? Like, what is he saying that is true? And in the argument about circumcision, I could go into cultural context and look at that 
Paul is writing to the Jewish people. In the Jewish tradition up to this time, circumcision was kind of like, if you're not circumcised, you are not of the Jewish faith. And the and and being, and at that time, according to the Jewish people, they were the only people of God. And so he's talking to the Jewish people saying that you have placed so much emphasis on this action of circumcision that you have missed the fact that circumcision itself does not bring salvation. Rather, Abraham was saved by faith, and Moses was saved by faith. And these are people, these are names that in the context of what Paul is writing are not going to be like, oh, I've, I know a little bit about Moses. I know a little bit about, I know a little bit about, like it was, it was central to their belief system. It was sent. So in other, if you could even talk about it in like American politics, and I know we're going to get into it in the future, but it's like, okay, so if you're sitting down into having a conversation about the founding fathers and the person you're talking to mentions Abraham Lincoln as if he was a founding father, right? You'd be like, wait a minute. We're not even on the same page here because Washington was the first president. Washington and Abraham Lincoln weren't bros. They weren't buddies hanging out in the same room together. Okay, so we're not even on the same page here. We're not even having the same conversation because if you think that Abraham Lincoln was there at the battle of, you know, I don't pick a pick a battle, right? In the in the in the revolution. Yeah. And you know, or he was <laughs> that uh Paul Revere ran to Abraham Lincoln and was like, the Redcoats are coming. Like, you don't, you don't not <laughs> don't even know the, the general history. But Paul is not talking to those people. He's talking to people who know their history, especially their history within the Jewish tradition, which was largely oral and as well as written. And so when he's talking about circumcision, he's speaking to these Jewish people to in who have on the one hand, and this is a microcosm of something that he's that you can pull out from that, is that they have placed so much emphasis on the ritual of circumcision that they have missed the the resurrection of Christ in some ways. Or he's warning against that. And if I remember this part of Romans, I think that's almost specifically what he's talking about. So in reading the Bible, one of the things that's important when it comes to posture is, are you trying to, what are you trying to do when you're reading it? Are you trying to, are you understanding that that document has a better grasp on reality and truth than you do, and you're trying to understand from it? Or are you trying to mold it to fit your specific situation so you can kind of make it answer the question the way that you want it to be answered? An extreme version of this, this is a almost hyperbolic caricature of it, is am I reading, am I going to the Bible, finding a verse that reinforces my argument and 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 basing my entire theology on that argument or that phrase? Something like um what is even one like turn the other cheek? Yeah. Am I am I saying, oh uh, well the Bible says turn the other cheek? So therefore, this is an ad infinitum application to everything that I go on to or even a way that I can criticize my fellow man. Or am I trying to understand what he's saying in that passage so that I may use it as a guideline by which I live my life? So that's the first one, the first core of it. And then the second one, if you want to get as you get deeper, is it's imperative for a man who's reading the Bible as you get more and more uh, in, in you 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 read more and more of it is that you understand the cultural context in upon it which it was written and so when you're reading uh, this goes back to the idea of circumcision when paul is talking about circumcision or he's talking about 
unnatural relations between men and women. He's not talking to people who are foreign with this idea. Right. And then he's he's not talking to people who are thinking, well, you know what the they're not like, oh, well, this is a new idea. In fact, Paul was dealing with a very real issue with some, with some very real issues as he was speaking to the various churches in the New Testament, and he was calling them out on very, very clear sin behaviors. And he was saying, you call, you know, like, do not live this way. Do you not know that it says, do not do this? And you think, and it, you're going to go on to reading in, in, in Romans where Paul says, uh, we have been saved. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase by no means? And so that is this call that he's saying to these people. And so as we're reading the Bible, our goal is to understand that it is it that book has a better grasp on reality and truth than we do. And by reading it, we are able to understand the world more for what it is and also seek comfort, guidance, hope, perseverance, and so that we may live according to something that is more true than the, fa the, the frailty of our own will. And so... There are different times, you, you you know, you read the Bible at different times in different places. Sometimes you need encouragement. You might choose to read the Psalms, or sometimes you need instruction, and you'll read Proverbs and James, and sometimes you just need to become more educated in it, because all Scripture is, is useful for teaching and educating. And so these are these hard, these are, it's like, it's never going to be something that you're going to grasp entirely and then walk away with. It's rather a, a, a process of continual revelation of learning more and, and changing who you are, and it's affecting how you think and how you believe and how you act. And that's, and that's kind of where that posture needs to go. And so that's one way. And so you're talking about different ways to understand the Bible more. Some of it is going to be reading other authors on it, re how other people have thought about it and trying to understand what they're saying is true and recognizing that they're less authoritative than the Scripture. What is it that is... There's a term that gets th that gets thrown around a lot, quite often, but is uh, a, a really heavy dose because it's really been central and critical within Ameri or human history. I don't know forever. Let's just say, and one of them <laughs> is, um, and 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 that is, is the Bible divinely inspired, or is it simply the work of man writing within their own fallibility, and and is it? Is it a is it a is it a corrupted document? Is it an uncorrupted document? And those are questions that people need to deal with. And there are arguments, either most arguments point towards it, and I think it is faithlessness to deny it. But that is a personal issue. So so let's uh on on the other aspect of that question, as far as uh, like I said, in my mind, even hmm. Do we need to go guess, back to did God did God change his mind? No, that one's we haven't got there yet. <laughs> um, no, this is like I said the the specific, I guess, divinity of the text is maybe a bad way to put it. But again, I, like I said, I have to imagine this this is maybe coming from C.S. Lewis, and again, I'm very green in the theological stuff. But um, when when you read something that happened in the Bible. Um, I still have this notion of like, okay, but this is truth and that actually happened and it actually happened within worldly time and space. If we're talking about Jesus and, and all of that, it actually mm -hmm. happened. Jesus did actually talk to this guy, but again, there, how do you deal with the fact that this is 
rightly or wrongly so i mean i think about it as like a sitcom like sitcoms they cover 24 to even 48 hours within 20 minutes of 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 an episode you get what i'm saying i do um, and this isn't to wrongly compare the bible to a sitcom but you get what i'm saying it's the sitcom is the snippet of what you need to know to get the gist of this episode um i feel like there are scriptures that are being read and presented that are being taken or given as this is exactly like the way it happened whatever you read is it is exactly the way it happened but you're missing some of that back context that you know oh there's something else that happened within this 24 or 48 hours like that's why he said this or maybe the words that he said uh they sound a little bit different or they sounded a little bit different in the time because of that back context of what he's writing about do you get what i'm saying i do um like and again so in other words i do and i I, but let me try to recreate repeat it back to you is that um quite a few passages that are read in the bible are a not even a summary but a segment from an event yes or what seem like the segment of an event and so without being there to see all the things that led up to it and all the things that came from it it seems like you're only given the a, a a portion of the the presentation yeah and it's it's less about what i'm given i i have less issues with what i'm given it's more about how what i'm given how i see it interpreted sometimes of again the the one that and please if if i know some people from the sunday school listen to this so this is not an indictment of what we heard on the sunday school but uh it was the you know jesus healing the leper yeah and it was like the way you read that is leper sprints up says i need healing and jesus goes i pity you touch you're healed don't tell anybody go away and he goes away and tells everybody you know what i mean and it's like there's so much is that what happened yes but also when you're when you're analyzing why did the leper actually go and tell you know why did the leper why did he go tell people why did he disobey what jesus had told him or why did jesus give him the command to not tell anybody anyway um it's like well i have to imagine that happening in real time and like how would that look if you were in real time you know is is like i just the way we interpret that to me it's it's so much more about okay was jesus actually saying hey don't go tell anybody was this like the humility of jesus because when you do a nice thing what what are we called to do we're called to say hey you know don't don't worry about telling anybody like do you get what i'm saying i know i'm rambling but it's it, so that question can be taken two ways then isn't it then our our duty to try to flesh out and understand that like seek out where, where can we begin seeking after contextual information one of them which is not a it's not really like a, a hidden thing is that leprosy in that time was oftentimes seen as a judgment people who were in in, in the culture at the time being a leper oftentimes what came with because leprosy is a disease, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, leprosy is a flesh-eating bacteria disease, and it's right. extremely contagious, right? And so, leprosy itself, for the sake of public health, requires quarantine, because people who come into contact with it could also acquire leprosy. Now, you know, you can you can talk about things like soaps and health and 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 everything else. We could go down that that road on it on a, if, as long as we want to. But the cultural relevance of that time is that even in the community that Jesus was living in, 
being a leper was often, and if not all, almost always seen as a judgment from God. And and they touch and they touched on that. So like we 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 had we had dove into some of the cultural context, and and that's kind of what. And not to not I know I cut you off, but not to cut you off. <laughs> um, that I understand in that cultural context, of, just like you did with the circumcision or you know the unnatural sex and things like that. I get that part of it. I guess there's just something to where I'm struggling with of like, I have to imagine this actually going on as like a human interaction. You know what I mean? Um, And and it's hard for some of the things that I've, I've heard or seen, you know, like uh, the other one was like dreams. Um, You know, you put the word dream in a verse and we're automatically thinking rim sleep, you know, like you put the word hallucination. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and see, even some people don't like, <laughs> I go to a Baptist church and so <laughs> hallucinations, maybe, you know, I don't even think we talked about hallucinations. Like it was, it was specifically in the dream. And I don't know that bad, like being Baptist, I'm walking myself into a, I'm digging myself a really large Sunday school hole, but um, not really. I, I mean, I, I think I can even come to that one because I tend to come from a reformed Baptist position too. And so what I mean by hallucination is like, when you're dreaming, you're also kind of hallucinating, right? Like, right you're asleep, you're seeing things, uh, at least when I have dreams, like I am an actor in the dream. I am moving as if I am doing things in the dream. Now I'm sleeping, I'm not moving, but in my dream, I am trying to find somebody or I'm having an experience or I'm feeling an emotion or, or, you know, in this sense. And so I don't lose a sense of agency in a dream. I'm not suggesting that every dream is a DMT fueled experience. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. saying that, oh, well, you know, when they said prophesy, they said, go eat the magic mushrooms and tell us what you say. Like, I do not think that's what the Old Testament, New Testament are saying. Right. Well, and, and like I said, it, and a lot of this could be just me. I mean, you know how when people are new to something, especially inquisitive people as myself um, are new to something. It's immediate, like, let me poke holes here and poke holes here and poke holes here. So a lot of this could just be me trying to do new things that that have already been, you know, run down the same old streets and, and ask the same old questions. But I do have, like I said, the, the dreams was one because even I thought I was like, well, you know, my mind immediately went to, well, God gave us imagination for a reason. Um, and so what may be called dreams here, uh, I see no reason that that couldn't also be subbed for like daydreams of like you're sitting there and you're thinking and you're pondering um because that's where i feel like i get some sort of influence whether it be divine or not um is when i'm sitting in the truck and and i'm just i have time alone with myself uh and and i feel like that imagination is a gift whereas my dreams are my dreams are worthless and chaotic <laughs> you know like my sure. real sleep dreams are those are those are some of the worst times you know like my unconscious dreams i'm like you are such a sinner, you know, like <laughs> some of the yeah, stuff man. that goes on in my dreams. Um, but anyway, so I, I think to sum up my question is just, and we don't have to, 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 to go back into it, but what I was wondering, and I think you've given some pretty good answers to it is just, are we, let me put it this way. Are we able to think of it in terms of, you know, being in real time? Are we, are we able to attribute that? Let me put it this way. Jesus was fully human. Um, I know he didn't sin. I know he was the perfect human. That's the whole point, but he was still fully human with human mannerisms, with human interactions. Um, is it still okay to read interactions with Jesus um, with a human lens as if it occurred, you know, the way human interactions do? 
Yeah, I, I yes, very much so. Like I, I, I think I, I let me let me make sure I understand your question correctly because, um, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man at the same time. That is that is such that he when he came to earth when he when he descended from heaven to earth, uh, he came in the form of a baby born of the Virgin Mary. He was a man. He was fully human and fully God, and so. Jesus is, and that's a pretty classic Baptist position to say, but when G and you see issues with the council of Nicaea and so on and so forth. But what you see here is that, so Jesus Christ is experiencing mankind as a man, hmm. but that doesn't mean that he is, that does. And, and by being fully God and fully man, he does that, which is right. But he also does that, which is right within the context of the dictation that was given by God in the creation. And then and so I think that there, you're seeing this issue of, yeah, he wasn't something. Jesus, when he was on earth as a man, was a man, a man approached another man and said, I know you are the son of God. Heal me. And by his faith, he was healed. And so, like, it would be no different than running up to a man in a crowd and being like, you are the son of man. I need you now. And yet at the same time, underneath that layer of our human fallibility and short-sightedness, there is also Christ, the redeeming God, who came to man in the form of man to die for our sins. So, like, there is that relatability of it being a very real situation, but then Jesus also walked on water, and he also changed the weather, and he also multiplied the food, and so... That is where the fully God part comes in, where he is not, he is, he is, that what limitation that Christ experiences as a man is actually by his choice, not by some sort of arbitrary power that placed it over him. Mm -hmm. And so the ability for, you know, of the ability for God to descend into God, God through his son, descend into the life of man to contain himself into the environment doesn't mean that he is not also outside of it. He's also out, out able, he he knows, I think Jesus knows, knew that he was also Jesus because he said so. He wasn't like, you know, suddenly, I'm the son of God. Oh, yeah, this is cool, man. Like, I think it, yeah. I think for him, it was very much so like, I mean, because as a, as a fallen man, I cannot pretend to understand exactly what it's like, but he came to show mankind through our own visibility visible visi capabilities of observation that he was also the son of god i i think i think you've done very well in answering uh answering my question that wasn't incredibly well presented <laughs> well it's um, not a, it's not an easy question like let's be clear here there's thousands of years of writings from christians and non and and, and non-christians about jesus christ and the events that took place and it's and and there's and it, and like if you read the thousands of years of writing, if you could find a way to read all of it, you'd recognize that there is something that is true at the heart of it, and it is a whole bunch of people trying to understand what that is. But it doesn't negate that there is something that is true, right? And I think this is where people get their theology wrong: is that you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and so long as we don't get out each other's throats, we're going to be just fine. And there's a certain realm of humility that we give towards one another, but we are also that humility is primarily 
submitted before slave to the recognition that there is something that is true and that everyone is in pursuit of it to some extent maybe and that there is but that doesn't mean that everybody's truth is the same truth like we are all seeking but there are the sheep and the goats and there are those who god has chosen and it's not just straightforward so um i'm sorry it is just it is not i was distracted for a second it's not that it isn't isn't straightforward is that you know if our belief is genuine we will desire to know what is true and seek after that which is true more than we will try to bend truth to our fallible will. That, that that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do, uh, man. I have, and it's just fun imagery, uh, especially now that I'm I'm having a child. Uh, trying to imagine a child that never sinned is fun. Um, that's that's a fun image. <laughs> I, I I could not imagine. See, I don't have children of my own yet, but I could not imagine being Mary. And being reminded that by your own child, that the child is the son of God. And you're like, and you're, you're frustrated with the child because of your own sinfulness, but you want to blame it on the child, but you know, you can't, like, <laughs> I, 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 I cannot imagine, like, I'm not a parent, so I don't have the full answer, but <clears throat> you know, you, you get that, <clears throat> you get that like stereotypical experience where like the mother, a, a mother or a father corrects the child, like, yeah. you know. Stephen, you shouldn't do this, or Forrest, you shouldn't do this. And the child goes, but mother, you don't know what's going on. And the and, and the parents like, yeah, but I told you to. Like, I'm I'm the parent. But then you got Jesus <laughs> who's like, um, but I'm you like, I'm I'm don't you know I'm the son of God? And you're like, ooh, I don't want to make it apocryphal, but it's I'm sure there was some time in Mary's life where she had to go, okay, so like, am I really wrong here? Because there's no way that Jesus, the Son of God, is going to do the wrong thing. So, 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 am, so, is it me? Am I the bad guy? <laughs> should I let him have that second dessert? Is that what I should really do? <laughs> um, Something tells but, me it has nothing to do with dessert, but I get the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. Sorry. Um, like no, I said, it's. I apologize. <laughs> it's 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 fun. Uh, fun fun imagery for me, and that and that is exactly what I'm talking about. Is that you know that context of of you know, imagining what Mary had to go through, you know, I, I imagine it much like, uh, there's an actual, uh, which is funny knowing me now, but an actual event in time where my parents tried to get us to go to the movie theater and they stopped to buy a bunch of snacks to sneak into the movie theater. And I threw an absolute fit. I was like, you're not allowed to sneak snacks into the <laughs> movie theater. And I threatened to tell them my parents. And so, uh, I do, I'll never pay him back, but, uh, my dad, I, I forced him to buy, movie theater snacks instead of the ones that he just bought at the gas station so uh, no fun. yeah no i i imagine it not not to draw equivalencies between myself and jesus christ but i imagine it to be something like the frustration that my parents experienced that day yeah you know, i i once heard somebody make a statement about how you know there's a <clears throat> we know every we know like everything about mahatma gandhi's life or mm -hmm. you know mahatma gandhi and we're like yeah, well, yeah, okay. But and then he goes, but there's like an entire section of Jesus's life that we're not that's not recorded in the Old Testament. How are we not like and then he asked this question and I think he was trying to be witty, but he's like, how are we how are we like more confident in the divinity of Christ than we are on the identity of of Gandhi? And it was like 
are you even reading the book? <laughs> and, and, and just it was a weird question. It wasn't a weird question. I mean, it was it was quite intentional. Um, it was quite intentional to produce an outcome right. of like I it, and 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 to be clear, like the 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 person asking the question was very much so trying to like give off the intent the the image of being intelligent versus he didn't really want an answer and and the long the long winded answer is well you know like we believe in the er inerrancy of scripture and so yeah like if you if you're doubting the existence of the Christ but you're calling yourself a Christian there's a huge contradiction there yeah. <laughs> so, like let's uh let's dial it back a little bit and go into like what do you actually believe so yeah no that that makes a lot of sense Man, do you want to? Uh, we we've hit theology pretty hard. Do you want to go into whether God makes mistakes? Yeah, I'll go into it really quickly. Um, it's a it's an improper framing of understanding the identity of God. It's a very short answer. So if God is who God is, then God cannot make mistakes. That you'll get into this a little bit later in Romans, but it's consistent throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that the one critical component of the identity of God is that He does He cannot make mistakes, because. He is the ultimate authority. You could go to the Euthyphro argument. Does God love that which is good because it is good, or is it good because God loves it? And that comes down to the question of, it can't be a mistake if God makes the choice. And the point of arbitration of all reality is God's choice. And so for us, we might see a shift in something. We might see something like what we think is God changing his mind, but that is actually the result of the limitation of our capability of sight. It is not, a, it, 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 it's like, you know, so like, let's use an example. Um, God in the book of in the in the book of Exodus gives the 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 people of Israel, um, the 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 Hebrews, the people of Israel, the uh, the Ten Commandments, and in one of those Ten Commandments is Thou shalt not murder. And then forty years later, after wandering around in the desert because of their sin and faithlessness, God um, God sends the people of Israel into the Promised Land, which was known as Canaan at the time. And he tells them to kill every man, woman, and child, including the animals. And so if we were to say, well, did God change his mind about murder? Because, I mean, these this, there wasn't like a very simple system of justice in this orientation. Uh, it wasn't like those people, whatever those people are, and I know that can sound like a politically divisive term. It's not <laughs> like the people of Canaan had like, quite frankly, done something very specific, like something like uh, the bad guys of World War II or whatever. It's not not only that, but like God commands the people of Israel to expunge the town of Jericho of all of its inhabitants. And so you might try to diagnose that as murder. Well, God commanded the people of Israel to murder the town of Jericho. But that means, and if you see an inconsistency between those two, you have two choices. You either believe that there was a change in the universe and the will of God or that my observation is not big enough. And if you and if you go with the prior, you are giving yourself you are lowering God to the level of man so you'll try to engage with him as if God was just another man. Oh God, you're not just, I am just. I tell you what's right and it's, or you recognize that the author of that which is called justice and the author of that which is called called morality that the being who not only spoke the earth into existence also spoke the code of rules and ethics by which we live for has made a declaration and that is what makes him God. And so does God make changes in his mind? No, he is greater than our perspective of history. How hubristic does a man need to be to go to God and say, you're being inconsistent? 
when God knows all layers of your understanding and beyond, whereas we can only see what God has revealed himself to us. So I guess at that point, I do, I do have a couple questions. Um, as, as I do, um, I guess I could say fair enough and move on, but the, so you talked about how God, God chose. And the way I'm trying to walk through this is, is God chooses. And I know that he, but he chooses from a position of where a word that we don't like to use is arbitrary. As in, like, to you and I, choice exists within our environment. Right. Right? So we, I can choose to buy this car or that car. I can choose to love my wife or cheat on her. I can choose to get drunk or not. I can choose to lie to you or tell the truth. But my choice is all within the context of my creation. That is not the same for God. God's choice is not contained within the context of his creation. Okay. Does he still, is there any still context by which, and again, it it may be, hubris (laughs) to, to ask the question, but I guess where, where I'm having the issue is if God is able to make God choices God makes God choices. I understand he doesn't make man choices that are bound by the nature of his creation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if God makes God choices, God can change the change those choices. Can he not? So if God chooses this, then God can also choose that. Can he not? I, I, th- I think I, I think I understand what I, I, I think so I understand it, what you're saying. Like, let me get, let me understand. It, yeah. Maybe it's that we understand consistency because consistency is in the nature of God's creation. Like that, which is consistent is consistent because it comes from God. Um, why is the world thus regular? Is a good, you know, it's a good question. Um, but it, mankind has been asking, why is it that when I, uh, I, I uh, when I drop a ball from a hundred feet, it always accelerates at the same rate? Or why is it, this is uh, Dr. Walter Schultz's divine compositionalism. Why is it that salt always dissolves in water? It's because it dissolves in water by the continual will of God. That creation is an ongoing experience. That in the, in that creation is upheld by his continual will. So what we see as change in history is just the continual will of God. He's outside of time. He could choose one way or the other. Sure, but he's outside of time. So I know I know he's outside of time, and maybe this is maybe this will get us a little bit more. Let's let's go about this another way. Let's back up, punt, and and go another way. Um, I know he he's outside the frame of time, and the way that I think C.S. Lewis has presented it to me in a way that I understand is is God is he's the author. Um, you know, he's the author of a book. He's outside of our time. We're in this book, and when God closes the pages, um, you know how do I, how do I put this? We don't move unless God writes, you know what I mean? He's not subject to our, our time scale. I get that. Um, but he still, 
he still deals in our time scale. He still writes in our time scale. Yeah, and we call that revelation. What, what do you mean by that? We we call that revelation, as in the act of creation is as time as our perspective of time continues is God continuing to reveal Himself to mankind through creation. It it sounds I this 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 points to um that 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 cerebral attitude of it, but so the the. The act of time, that the fact that time is continuing is continued revelation. It is God continuing to reveal the world to us through time. Okay. It's not like it's not like he, you know, as you're saying, he's writing, right? But he's also written it, and we are we are sort of agents within that creation. Um, and so you would think that you could think that in you know when I'm writing a book, um. I, I I write page one and I write page two and I write page three and I write page four and I write page five and then I put it down. And then I pick up the book again. Uh, if I sneeze, I'm allergic to cats, by the way. This is just this this oh, garage awesome. cat. This garage cat seems to like my lap. <laughs> um so I'm trying to figure out how to survive. But the um the even the metaphor has a point in the sense that the author is bigger than the book. And yet the, the book is not a perfect one-for-one one representation of creation you might be able to get a little bit more you know complicated with saying it's like a video game um you know because i can i can go to different points in the video game at different times but i can i can also create the entire video game and i'm still outside of it and if that video game has a storyline it has a timeline sure um but you can even go a little bit deeper in that the existence of the entire timeline of human humanity is 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 to us a line but to God, he's outside of it. So every moment of creation from Genesis to the end of Revelation is the continual act of God. And he's creating it all at the same time. It's not even all at the same time. It's just it's all created because he knows it. But we are in the experience of the timeline. So I, it's even it's like super interesting and super technical. So. Him making choices within the timeline is sort of like he's written the entire book, but he's also experience, He's also participating in each page. So it would be like at every moment of, of time, God is writing that book at the same time. And we can only imagine writing a book from page one to page 50, whereas, you know, you could now take that into the fourth dimension of the concept of the book is being created by God, by his will, continuously. Because he could delete all time and no time at the same time. Yeah. So, so it's like really hard to wrap your mind around, but it's that's how I see it. Is in like we don't have an understanding perfectly of his divine action in writing time. So let me move on a little bit. Um and I think you've given good answers. Uh and I want to get on to some other stuff. I want to talk about Liberty Safe. Uh, I really do, just because uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. So um, there is a really good, but there is a really good segue to this, is because we understand the idea of rights by understanding that we are created in the image of God, and what happened at Liberty Safes illuminates that idea quite well. Yeah. So uh, that would be the up next in the corner. If we had a decent ass production, it would be up Oops. next liberty saves and it would be a meme you know in the corner but i do have one more comment uh one more i guess quick hitter of a question to what level of, of authority are we given to try to understand what god is and who he is so 
so for me, you know, and some people have, have not to say that, um, how do I put it? Is it, is it always arrogance to try to understand the way in which, or, or hubris, the way in which God operates? Um, or rather, are we required? Cause to me that, that level of logical understanding is something that we're only given as humans. I don't think anybody, anything else on the world has that, that consciousness, that level of, of understanding and, and trying to logically work through something like what we are, uh, we're given that. And so I feel like it's, we have the responsibility to do so. At what point are we no longer allowed to ask those questions? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So let's start with understanding epistemology and knowing God. The Old Testament and the New Testament compel, compel man to seek after God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who pursue him find knowledge and understanding. So it is our responsibility and our and with a responsibility, authority, authority, agency over our own mind, agency over our own decisions, I can choose. It is our responsibility to seek after God and know him. It becomes hubris when we start dictating our own will and perspective of God over who God is himself. That's where it becomes hubris. So if I am a, a very simplified version of it, if God says, um, if God says in his word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says this, Jesus being the Son of God, part of the Trinity. If Jesus says that, and we go, yes, but all roads lead to Rome, then we are being hubristic because we are okay. saying, you say this in your word. Jesus makes an authoritative statement about who he is. Or God in the Old Testament says, I am the one true God, follow or worship, you shall worship no other gods but me. And we go, yes, but man's interpretation can turn it into different things. So maybe that this this non, you know, non-Christian religion, I'm not even talking about even Christian religion, but like this a pantomime of God is equivalent to being worshiping God. We allow it's starting to pour out. Jeez. Um, we allow, we, you know, like we in humility recognize that we can only see so much. And so we listen to other people and we recognize that everyone has their own um, faith is their own personal thing. But we also do not make allowances in the sense of saying, well, God says this, but I think that. Right. We, 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 we don't we don't we don't. That's where the hubris comes in. God says, in the beginning, I God, God says in his word, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we go, well, in the beginning, God didn't really create the heavens and the earth. He was just being metaphorical. Um, that would be a, a, an application of hubris. Or God isn't who he says he is. That would be an application of hubris. Or I don't think God is right. Or I don't think he is correct in what he said here. That would be the application of hubris. Yeah. And I think the the true, I think when you try to, it's less about trying to understand what he's doing and more about, and we're saying, I think this will wrap it up. And we're saying the same thing of trying to apply these man-made limits and terms to him specifically. Um, yeah. That's why the, 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 the question, does God make mistakes? Um, that was a little <laughs> not flattering on my end to ask it, but I, I use the word mistake specifically because that is a, that's a man. When you think of the word mistake, I, I, I used it specifically because it is like this, man word like i i it would be hubris to think that god makes mistakes in the eyes of man um yeah 
another so, example, a really good example of it, where you see it in its most egregious format, is when somebody says, "Even if God was real, I wouldn't worship Him." It's like then you don't understand what God, what it means that uh, then you're then what you're saying is not like that's pretty ridiculous to say. Is that if yeah. God is who God is, you cannot help but worship Him, and so that would that's a, that's an external case of hubris if we were to say oh well if even if god even did exist i wouldn't worship him and it's like yeah that's that's like that's a pretty powerful statement to say yeah and uh, <laughs> let's is. see let, let's see how that plays out right and and that can even come across as a little aggressive but it's like it's not going to end well it's it, it, it it's just not like how painful yeah. your life will be um so i i think this has been really good it's kind of it's kind of wild how um there was almost no theology on this podcast for eight months and now it seems like every episode ends up there um for good reason i believe but uh that was that was a good little intense and i know we're going to keep going with liberty safes but uh that was a good little intense uh theological uh conversation um it answered a few questions for me it opened up some more questions i have more and more questions which is probably the way it's going to be for the rest of my life hopefully but um where was i going with that oh next i think i want to do an episode because then my next i have follow-up questions for what we just talked about i don't think i have the the desire or time to get into them now but it's uh be ready for the next time that you wander onto the purpose podcast for a discussion about uh fatalism and determinism so uh or, or, those are good ones yeah so uh, or free free will and determinism. So um, that's that's what I meant to say. But uh, so let's move on to uh, the memory that was uh, Liberty Saves. So first of all, let's do a little bit of rapid fire to uh, let's do an OODA loop. What is it? Observe, orient. Uh, I forget Decide. what the rest of it is. Decide. And act. And act. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's ask let's ask some rapid fire questions. Uh, what was your favorite Liberty Safe meme? I don't. Ooh, I don't. I don't actually remember many of them. I did. I. Uh, I was traveling a lot at that time, so it all had. I, I found out about the Liberty Safe. What happened? The the statement that Liberty Safe made while I was getting onto a plane. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, so well, I'll I'll answer with mine, and maybe while you think uh, think on yours a little bit, I, I think uh, Drinking Bros, the the podcast, which I don't. I I have issues with some of the things that they say and all that, but. They're not my favorite podcast in the world, but occasionally they come out with a fire meme. And the one that I probably laughed at the most was when it was an open Liberty safe full of Bud Light. And I really liked that. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know Brandon Herrera did a, uh, he did a, like they, a, a surprise, like, um, yes. gun meme review and that, emergency gun meme review. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, and I watched it, but I, I didn't pay that much attention to it. I'll be honest. I did see the one that you're talking about. Yeah, I just I, I I um the whole the whole thing is sort of a, a a tough spot to be. Yeah, the the couch the couch meme is maybe the funniest. Um, they they definitely couch memed Liberty Liberty Safe. So yep, yep, the couch. <laughs> you knew that was coming. Yeah, but... I mean it's a it's it's it's, it's got to be a tough place to be working for the safe company right now because like you're. With the with the volatility of of the culture right now, that's a really hard position to be in. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I'm not happy with the decision that they made, but I can still feel bad for the for what's going what 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 they're going to have to be dealing with for a while. 
Yeah. So let's uh let's give a little bit of context. So if I if I believe correctly, what happened is Liberty Safe, they are a, a, a safe manufacturer, as in big gun safes, um, large gun safes. You you know them, you love them. Uh every dad has one. Uh after he reaches a certain point of income, he goes and buys a huge ass gun safe. Uh maybe fills it, maybe doesn't. Um, I believe Liberty Safes, they are it, it kind of surprised me. They're cheaper in the sense that they're code operated, correct? Like like touchpad code operated, or were they so I'll I'll answer your earlier question um with something that I don't even know if it I think it went public. E, uh, uh Gypsy Walters put out something. It was like it was just like the the confused kid face. Like, wait a minute, you put your guns in safes? Oh like, yes, <laughs> yeah. So it's just like that, and it's just like I, I, you know, ought to be clear. I don't know all the technology that goes into one. I don't. So, I really, so I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I will admit, like. I'm at a loss in the sense of I don't know everything that goes into them. Yeah, and I don't either. And and that's kind of one of the things to where when it blew up, I was like, hold on, <laughs> hold on, let's let's talk about this. But uh, in some way or another, whether it's a combo or a touchpad or whatever the case, uh, these safes all have some sort of master code apparently. So uh, Liberty Safes, the, the manufacturer, and I'm assuming that they did it with all good intentions in place, as in if if you need to get into your safe, if you have a valid reason to get into your safe, if you can prove you are who you say you are, uh, maybe they were thinking instead of having to cut your safe open, we can give you the master code. I'm assuming that they had good security practices. I mean, one would think because that's lawsuit. I mean, that's lawsuit hell if this this code gets out, you know, without the right um, processes. But anyway, some guy uh, got a warrant. Um, they, they got a warrant on some guy. And the reasoning we'll talk about here in a sec. But they, they'd gotten a warrant out on some guy. They contacted Liberty Safes. Uh, Liberty Safes. Uh, they, there's debate about whether they actually made them produce the warrant. But they definitely didn't get subpoenaed. They didn't drag Liberty Safes to court. And Liberty Safes turned over the code. So the FBI was able to go in there, uh, open this guy's Liberty Safe, and find what I'm sure was all of nothing um i mean it couldn't have been just a whole lot in, in in the safe but liberty safes then released a statement saying hey uh this is what we did this is why we did it they had a warrant um yeah and then everybody i mean all of gun culture uh lost it i mean lost it calling them you know all of the things cucks uh all all of all of the things uh memed them into oblivion much like we did with bud light uh yeah, to and to say they got dragged pretty hard is putting it lightly. Yeah. Um, they, they, have, they offended the sensibilities of their primary customer. Yeah. And well, and it's funny. I want to talk about that too, because I don't know that it depends on who their customer base is, because I don't know. I think the culture of guys that are memeing them are guys like you and me, where it's like you put your gun in a safe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that they're selling just a whole lot of these these massive Liberty safes where I'm sure most of their income comes from, uh, to guys that were dragging them. I think it's a little bit different than Bud Light. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can, you can make an economic argument here is that we're millennials and millennials are having a difficulty finding good housing. Like that's not an unusual thing. It's not even a political statement is that even after COVID, I mean, millennials have experienced the 08 crash where some of their family members and friends lost their houses. 
That's yep. a that's a that's an emote that might be a, a deterrent from getting too invested in a, a home. The cost of price, the cost of houses skyrocketed, Ugh. skyrocketed in 2020. So buying a house isn't exactly the easiest thing. And buying a safe is not a cheap investment, right? It's like no. so and you can go down as long as if you wanted to go down and play the who's who's better than who's game, you could go into conversations about night vision and expenses this and priorities that like i'm not i'm not i don't think that <clears throat> i think that is it is a it is a good question for people to consider themselves but also that's not the point of this conversation cuz i don't think that's what offended people but when you're buying a $4000 safe like for a lot of millennials who are living in condos and apartments that's not a reality and a lot of millennials are getting their houses maybe their first house whatever so buying a very large safe isn't exactly the thing that every person that is not like it's not the economic point where a lot of gun culture is right now right and so it just it like it's a i think it's a reasonable assessment to make we're saying like look a lot of gun culture who's memeing on 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 liberty safe right now is also not in the financial demographic to be investing a whole bunch of money in them unless they're in the more successful ca uh, subsection of the more financially stable successful subsection of gun culture so there you go but yeah, sure. Maybe you could make a joke and say that, well, Liberty Safes was a boomer company and it just encountered the millennial generation. Yeah. That's not an it's not an outside of the box phrase. Yeah, to which to which they're what they're gonna do is and probably Liberty Safe the brand, I I wonder if they even make any of their saves. And if you know, if they do, what they're gonna do is slap a different sticker on it and and become an OEM or something like that. You know, they're to think that they're not going to still make safe parts or make safes is um, that's, that's just the way I think it's going to work, but they will get memed into oblivion. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully it woke some people up, but instead of talking about the, uh, you know, that the economics of it, let's talk about the, uh, the, not theology, but the, uh, what, what, what am I looking for? Um, Philosophy, the ethics, the, yeah, the, yeah, the right. Ethics. Yep. Um, so, do you do you think they had a warrant is a good enough excuse to do what they did? So outside of we need to make sure we distance ourselves from a legal question here because I don't okay. I'm not I'm not pretending to be a lawyer about this. Um, I'm a I'm a philosopher, not a lawyer. Okay, so I I deal in truths, not in subpoenas. Okay, <laughs> if I wanted to sound a little too hubristic for the for the for the point of a clip or something. Let let me let me ask uh, a different question then. Uh, you know, instead of that question, rather, uh, what was your issue with it? Let's start there. So my issue uh, was twofold. On the one hand, it it highlighted the it highlighted the state the the con the condition of where we're at right now as citizens within the country, and that is without privacy, our property is pointless. And so, like, if so, the fact that we have a safe, it also. I mean, the second thing is it also highlighted the very uncomfortable relationship that so many Americans are at where they do not trust the FBI. Right. Whether or not they should or shouldn't is a different question at this time. Rather, it's it, it, like that's what it first brought up is is immediately the the immediate reaction is, okay, so you have the property of a gun safe and you have the property inside that gun safe, but now somebody has access to it and they have information that can be gathered on you that should not be public. We know it's we, we we're safe to assume that it's not public, but now we need to recognize that we're in an environment where um 
we're not on equal ground with everybody. We're not just on equal legal grounds and we're not on equal uh we're not on equal footing in the way that we thought we were. Like this is if if we're talking about conflict on 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 the scale that we're that this is illuminating, it's that if bad actors in government because this is condemnation of government as a whole, but bad actors in government want to take advantage of your system, your safe does very little good for you. And so the idea that you could isolate yourself from the world that you live in by buying a safe and putting your possessions in it um, has been invalidated. It's been invalidated immediately because there's this backdoor access. And, and, uh, and so the first thing that it, that it illuminates for me is the issue of privacy. Okay, so if the FBI and Liberty Safe did something that they shouldn't have done legally, which was pursue a, a court-ordered subpoena, whether it was supposed to be done a different way, which is, from my understanding, is the way that it should have been done. And we've seen other companies and other organizations do this, like Apple. They don't just give out access to their uh, phones. They don't give access to their stuff just because the FBI requested it. Can't eat that cat. Um, <clears throat> you you, know, you can throw the cat. I won't clip it. I'm not. I'm not throwing it. I just it's putting it on the ground because it's trying to chew on the cable, which is <laughs> a, bad, a bad decision for us. Um, but you see, you see an issue here, right? You see an issue here with the way that it was handled. Is that one? It didn't happen in a void, right? This is not the first time that uh, the F, you know, like it didn't the the, F, the FBI in regards to gun culture is in an antagonist situation right now, and so the question that can be asked from the from the level of the civilian or the citizen is is my material is my is is the product that i bought really what i bought i bought a safe to protect my goods but now there's a backdoor access like was that advertised did i know about it was it in the fine print is it is there something there like and and, and whether or not that's the case is an important question but that also illuminates the responsibility of the individual you cannot buy a security system and then not understand what that security system's limitations and understandings are, and then complain or be completely offended when it isn't what you thought it was. Like you have to know what that safe is, not what you think that safe is. And that's, and I know that sounds semantic and, and I can understand it as being so. But if you look at a safe, right, and it's like I'm pur purchasing a safe, like I put locks on my house, like I put alarm systems and like I put stuff up to do what it's supposed to do. You see a very similar problem with security systems and cameras. People make the mistake that a camera prevents crime, which is only partially true. A camera prevents some low-level crime because people don't want to get caught. Right. But it does not prevent people who are willing, capable, and effective at disrupting that. If your cameras all run on a Wi-Fi signal and I have a jammer, then why what you know like and and I'm able to jam that signal, what good does your security system do? So you're looking at levels of concern. Now, mm -hmm. if you think that you could buy a commercially made product and have it be bulletproof against the federal government, I have a bridge to sell you. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's, 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 it's this idea that like you can produce, uh, you can buy something and be completely impervious. So on the one hand, you have the an, a certain level of naivety that has been shattered. And that is the idea that you can buy a product like a safe and have it be impervious to all peoples. The other issue though, is that some, there's a sense of betrayal and offense. And the betrayal and offense is that 
why is it or how is it that the FBI was not, I'm sorry, not the FBI, that Liberty Safe was not aware of the cultural context upon which that was being done? Did they know about the subpoena? Did they know about the, con I'm sorry, did they know about the warrants contents? Did they know who they were going after? Were they willing to make a political statement on it? Were they willing to hinge their company on it? Are all really heavy questions. And I, there is a sense of compassion that I have for a company that employs people to provide a product where they're handled handed a really bad situation. Like I, I'm not saying that they're they're but that they're they're um existing within a void and they're just like yeah we don't you know like I don't I'm not I would not accuse them of saying they want to screw over their customer overtly. Now if that was the case and you could somehow divine that that would even op up open up an entirely new can of worms. But the issue being said is. My first thought was, okay, so we have a right to pro property that exists within our country. What does this show about how we view our right to privacy? And what it shows is that the line has been less well defended and drawn in the sand than the line to property. And that's where we are at today. Where is the appropriate line of privacy when it comes to our country and the products that we purchase and the companies that we support and the government that we operate under, and how do we remedy those issues? So I have a kind of a fundamental question on that. Uh, to what level do you have for a good functioning government? I don't want to get into, and I don't think we will, but an is-ought fallacy is what I, what I like to call it. I don't want to get into what the government is. I'm talking about a government in the way that it ought to be. Um, in, in a government that is the way that you think it ought to be, to what level do you have uh, do you have private property and, uh, or I guess that's a funny statement. Do, what, in what level do you have property with privacy? Uh, at what point does a government have the authority to rid you of that, that, that property and that, and that privacy? Uh, cause, and where I'm going with this is, um, I think there's another argument, you know, a, an argument of, well, at a society, what, what, um, how should we be able to govern ourselves and should warrants ever be able to be created that allow a federal government into somebody's property? Do, do you get what I'm saying? Um, yes. And, and, and those answers are, I mean, those are, those answers are somewhat codified already as in if you have been convicted by a jury of your peers, if there is, and, and that is a, it is a messy situation in a multicultural environment. Um, but there is also, we have a right to privacy. And so, the individual that was being investigated, as I understand, was being investigated for actions pertaining to January 6th, which has become yes. an extremely, extremely politically divisive situation. So we're just mm -hmm. turning it from we're, we're going from an eight in the intensity level to like an 11 or a 15 of like, oh, that doubles the situation and there's no way out of it now. Right. Yeah. And so what do I think a government ought to be? is that a government that does not respect the privacy of its citizens will be made obvious. And so okay. uh, so this is issues with like pre-crime, and this is issues with uh, the curtailing of individuals' rights to say bear arms. This has to do with a, a number of issues, but in this case specifically, we have, I think what we have here is not, not only a question of how do we create checks and balances within the law, because in this case, 
in this case, in the case of, of Liberty Safe, I think what is what the part that is missing is there does not appear to be a check and balance or a recourse of grievances against a an organization within the government that may or may not be targeting people for political reasons or political or even even worse than just political reasons, but like authoritarian dictatorship reasons. Yeah, it very much seems like a lawfare, which is a new term that I heard uh, the other day of, you yeah. know, with with the political, you know, the January 6th. Um, <laughs> I, I feel your pain with the cat. I, I'm so sorry. It's hard watching you struggle. <laughs> oh, it, so. it, it, it's funny, too, because it's just one of those weird stories of like this cat showed up at the house randomly and uh, it wouldn't go away. And then it was a well-behaved cat. And so now it's like. It, 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 and uh, and I'm recording from the garage, so I don't in, I don't interrupt the rest of the world's activities. But it lives <laughs> in the garage, um, and it's it's funny. So so yeah, there. I don't know how much video uh, we'll ever see the light of day from this, but uh, yeah, he's got a cat that keeps jumping up, and he's moved it. Uh, I've got a a little. I've got tally marks here. He's moved it at least twelve times. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But... I will set it on the ground, and it'll immediately jump in my lap. And the problem is that like I'm allergic to cats. In that sort yeah. of really, really low level sense, so like I might sneeze eventually, or I might, you know, later tonight I might have a, a like a, my eyes or my throat might itch. Yeah. Well. Uh. Anyway, sorry. I just you keep having to move it, and it's very funny. It's amusing. Uh. But the uh. So where where I was going with all that is that um, I I kind of forgot. Um, uh, basically this this right to to private property. Um. Oh. I think that this one, it does seem very egregious. Uh, and I would very much so have enjoyed if Liberty Saves did everything they could uh, to keep the FBI from, you know, to hinder the FBI's uh, progress on any of it. Um, I also think, and you asked where, uh, and where this kind of relates and why I'm so interested in talking about it with you is you asked uh, a couple of weeks ago, where do you think the culture ought to go? And I was assuming that you meant, you know, gun culture and all of that stuff. Um, I think there needs to be a pretty heavy realization uh, and it, it seems to be happening amongst guys like yourself and stuff like that, but there needs to be a heavy realization that um, government it exists, is going to exist whether you like it or not. Um, and we now need to start having the conversation of what proper government looks like um, instead of how do we just be angry at the government and not, not even like the idea of government. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Um, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because, it, it, go ahead. No, it, in in my form of government, it you know is ought. Um, I don't think it should be at the federal level. I don't like the FBI handling domestic matters. But in in my form of government, if the if the Texas Rangers or something like that, um, this is the situation that I set up where I would be okay with what happened. If the Texas Rangers found you know a house owned by Jeffrey Epstein, and in the back room his list was sitting inside of a Liberty safe. Uh, if, if the Texas Rangers sent out a warrant, I would be very happy if Liberty safe said, here is the code, you know, like there, there, it's a completely different set of circumstances, but it also gets to that question of to what authority does a proper government have. And I think that the culture needs to, um, I, I think to be frank, a lot of them need to wise up very quickly and, and understand that, look, um, government is here, whether you like it or not, we need to start understanding how. A proper government looks and how to utilize that government for right and wrong am, mm -hmm. am i off base there 
I don't think you're off base. Robert Nozick addresses the situation in his book, uh, Anarchy, State, and Utopia, which is a very technical and very difficult book, book to read. If it's your first step into political philosophy, but and it, but it's still worth reading. Like even if you stumble through it, it's still worth reading because I sure I sure as heck, hell stumbled through it quite a bit. And Anarchy, State, and Utopia starts with the question of if you're going to address the question of political philosophy, you must ask the question. And it's me saying question three times in a sentence or a phrase. You must ask why government at all. And this is where people get ideas that like government is simply the monopoly of violence. Wrong. Government is the only like, you know, government is the monopolization of legitimate violence. Maybe. But there's more to it. Right. Because like government is not solely in the occupation of violence. However, it does carry the question with things like taxation and um, law enforcement. Right. And so like what I would. So even with this, the, the case of even with the case of. um the Jeffrey Epstein example, right? The example that you gave is, you know, if the Texas Rangers are, are are able to provide evidence without a shadow of doubt that the information pertaining to uh, the 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 Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein book, guest book, whatever, um, or all of his all of his uh, what do you call it? Not propaganda, but all of his blackmail is contained in this entire safe. Wouldn't you want the company to give up that information? The answer is yes. But what we would want, uh, the, the, the complete answer is yes, I, and I would still want them to go by due process. And then we would want to understand that due process doesn't need to fit that situation, but it needs to do the right thing. Do you base due process on situations, or do you base due process on what we believe to be right and true and good? So, Yeah, even, and I agree. Even if they requested a subpoena, like that would be still a better answer. Because that is yeah. what the process is, and then we can ask the question of whether that or not that's legitimate. Right, and well, and, and giving them the benefit of the doubt, I, I, I have no doubt that the po- that the the conversation could have possibly gone like this: of well, if we don't give it to them, they're going to cut into this guy's safe, um, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, but let and, him, let let them do it because then if the, then they like. And the, I, oh, it, I agree with you, but I'm just it, saying it. It might even it, be a little. It, it might even be a little chaotic, but make them do it, and then make them pay for it. Yes, I, I agree with that. I, I'm just saying it. I don't. I'm not 100 sold that that Liberty was like, yeah, you know, f that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, whatever the context might be, I'm not. I'm not 100 sold that it was just a an aloof malice decision on on Liberty's you know I, and i think it is within i think it is within reasonable uh, i think it is a reasonable ass- assumption to make that liberty safe was not aware of the context of the question however i have heard also and this is only hearsay so it's not admissible in a court of law that it was something that they had done in the past so uh, okay it's only hearsay and that it's like and i think that's where i think that's where people who are on the fence became further offended which was, well, when law enforcement requests access to a safe, we give it to them. And it's like, well, not, that's not, that not is the, uncom- <laughs> well, it's an uncomfortable position to be in because what happens when you don't trust law enforcement? Yeah. We have, uh, we have checks and balances in place. And there was a friend I was talking to who made an excellent point, And that was that Liberty Safe shouldn't, it, it is the, that one of the more offending elements of it is that how is it that Liberty Safe as a company 
was ignorant to the social situation or the social relationship between gun culture and the FBI. And that's and that's that's the difficult part is like, why didn't did you, how did you make this mistake? Because you should have known better. But when it comes to government, then we are, we recognize that we do have due process and maybe and, and from what we understand, this was not following that. Yeah, no, I, I completely get all the arguments. And and please, if you're if you're listening to this, don't think that I'm in agreement with what Liberty did. Uh, I just the moment that I heard it, I was I was like, context, please. <laughs> Can we yes, please well, have context well, yeah, of what's going yes. on? <laughs> because we do not solve the problem if we simply just alt offer Liberty Safe as a company on the altar of the current thing. Yeah, it doesn't like sure people will react to it and maybe may it might very well be the case that some new safe company rises to prominence because liberty held a decent amount of the market it may be that some other safe company rises to prominence because they make an overt declaration that they will follow that it is only through due process that the, the that any form of access to their safe might be granted but the issue at hand is that if if all you want is vengeance against a company that offended our sensibilities, then we are not going to get anywhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I can tell them exactly how it happened. I can tell them exactly how they're ignorant to the gun culture. It's because when you get into these corporate spaces, um, the people the people that may be governing this product or doing work on this product, doing the PR for this product, uh, very, very, it's not, often that they are actually in tune with anything about the product um they're not managing selling and creating safes they're managing selling and creating widgets uh and, the, and their pr team um has a lot of outside consultants that consult not on the matter of how will this come across to the culture but uh does this graphic have enough contrast you know what i mean like they have to be somewhat in tune with the culture but it's not the people that are making legal decisions, I guarantee you the legal office didn't call up their, their media, you know, the media dude that understands guns to make that decision. That's, that's not how corporations work. And my point here is that if, if you're in a corporation, I think it's incredibly important for you to start um, doing what you can to make sure that your actions at a corporation align with your values. Uh, and I may not be articulating it well, but, I've worked for companies that have these big, you know, conglomerates that, that over that head over 18 different brands, you know, like helicopters, special vehicles, you know, Kubotas, you know what I'm saying? Like these conglomerates head over all of these different brands. Uh, and even though the media intern that's putting out a brand, uh, or a, a little snippet on Facebook, a commercial or whatever, uh, they have no connection with the legalities of, of how that brand is being bought, sold, and used. So I can tell yeah. you exactly how that disconnect is. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to put it in manifesto form formula, uh, compartmentalization and its social consequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And and I think, like I said, again, a little bit of gun culture is it's like you see the 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 model companies on Instagram that where they are really connected. Um, you know, the model company, is, I, I'm trying to, uh, Sons of Liberty, you know, or... Uh, even even like Barrett, you know, what I'm saying these these model companies that we hold up of like these people know and get it. Uh, yeah, they're a tenth of the size of these conglomerates that own, you know, own and run legal for some of these companies like Bud Light, you know, or 
or Liberty saves, you know what I'm saying? Like that, yeah. that they have, they're not the same thing. Uh, and so when you see something like that, that's exactly how that happens. Like, well, it's not as, right. It's just not surprising. As a, as trust continues to degrade amongst the American population, a new format of liability will arise. And that is the format of liability, which is specifically uh, involved with culture war issues. And you you may want to say that the culture war is not a is it is too broad a term. It's too specific. It's too this way or that way. But Bud Light, Liberty Safe, Target, boycotts, and so on and so forth are revealing that as we have less trust as a society, and he, and and this is not this is not a support of it necessarily. This is actually just sort of a an observation is that as trust breaks down because of the way that we treat each other. Um, the costs of it are that large centralized corporations have a more have one more liability on their hands, and that's not a place that I'm envious of. Like right. I, again, Bud Light, whether it be Bud Light, Liberty Safe, or Target, like that is there are hundreds of people who have jobs on that line. And another example of that is even the brace ruling. Like the brace mm-hmm. ruling rolled out in January, and manufacturers have had to completely shift so much of their market resource just because of a decision that was made by the ATF and yeah. and whether or not it and and like even if it has been shot down by the supreme court are the floodgates open again for braced pistols no <laughs> and so yeah. like there there are consequences but the and the and the and a fundamental issue being the distrust is even highlighted there as well the brace ruling identified that the ATF is not to be trusted the gun culture cannot trust the ATF. Now, sure, should we have trusted them is a long question. And yes, I know we're going to come to an easy answer. And I'm not trying to even suggest that that's the, you know, like that it's there's that, that, that there's like some sort of middle ground here, but that's what you get. Like if you have a low trust society, you have high liabilities on every layer. And that is not a world that we want to live in. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And that's something that, uh, <laughs> Actually, and I know a lot of people hate him, but this is something that Ben Shapiro lays out very well. Um, I, I really I enjoy listening to Ben Shapiro. A lot of people don't. Um, if you take it for what it is and if you understand it, but that's it, it's it's valuable. And that's something that he's highlighted really well is this corporatism and, and how um, how corporations have been pinned, how corporations have been pinned and in this bad situation, but also how they're nefarious. Uh, it's it's very interesting. And actually, Vivek Ramaswamy, I believe, has a a book out on it. I forget what it's called, um, but it's uh, yeah, it's very interesting. And, and I will say this from, from what I do know is if you really want to make change uh, like this, you can go the government route. You can do the Brandon Herrera. Let's go, Brandon, by the way. Uh, I know some of you that listen to this. Uh, you live in his district uh, since I am from Texas and I know where you live. Uh, vote for Brandon Herrera. Um, <laughs> I, just, know, I, j- I know where you live. <laughs> yes, I do. So um, threatening. Well, it's because there's five people that listen to this podcast and that's my limit on addresses to be able to memorize, but, um, <laughs> you are so wrong, but you are so okay. Yeah. Um, well, and, uh, so, uh, but anyway, the, the reason that you're losing this battle is because people on the other side from where you stand have been willing to, to be offensive, uh, and to be the loud minority and to bring their politics into places like the workplace. Um, that's, that's, that's why we're, 
a lot of the reason why we're in the situation that we're in is that corporations um, feel safe to start <laughs> betraying you. Um, and I'm trying to do this and and still protect my my W two job. <laughs> um, I'm trying to do this without causing too many issues, but I have seen it to where corporations will wholly betray 90% of their employees in a building. I mean, the values that 90% of their employees in a building hold corporations will blatantly betray that, uh, knowing that these, these employees hold these values, knowing that it is greatly offensive to them to betray them. I have seen corporations betray that. Um, and the reason that ha- the reason that it happens is because one person or two people or three people, uh, this is directly from skin in the game. They are allowed minority. And for 60, 70 years, they have been willing to bring their politics to work where you have done the professional thing and not. Here's what I'm not telling you to do. I'm not telling you to be unprofessional. I'm not telling you to go in and start talking about all of your politics uh, and, and get yourself fired. That's not what I'm talking about doing. What I'm talking about doing is giving that silent nod to somebody else. Um, when you go to make decisions in your corporation, uh, do them with the understanding of where your morals are and and what is right. This is a, you, have you read Theory of Moral Sentiments? No, I have not. Um, I, I haven't, but I, but I want to, but start making your decisions uh, in, in this corporate lens with the moral backing and making sure that what you're doing uh, is based on your values, not some sort of sense of professionalism or uh, this is what we do while we're at work versus this is what we do at home because you've been beaten for years <laughs> in exactly those terms. Do you, do you, am, I, am I way off base? You're looking at me like I'm way off base. It's, I'm not looking at no. I'm 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 thinking about it this way. One is that I think a lot of Americans are feeling your pain when you say I want to be careful about how I say what I what I'm going to say because within us we have a certain sensibility. Is then there's something that's bothering me, but I recognize if I say it foolishly and 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 not only foolishly if I say it foolishly, I'll be putting myself and people who affiliate with me, whether through employment or otherwise, in a between a rock and a hard place. And out of respect for them, I don't want to do that. And it doesn't mean that I forego my beliefs or I, 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 um, um, I am, um, what do you call it? Amalgamate into the Borg and I get rid of my, my, my thought and I set myself down a road of nihilism and aimlessness. It's that, no, you're in the real world. Like the real mm-hmm. world is that it has consequences. And when people think that they don't live in that world, then we see the absent, the, 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 uh, the, something that offends the issue of skin in the game. You know, skin yes. in the game being like I ha- if I when I am aware of the consequences of my actions, I am better off and more able to make wise decisions within it. Whereas if I'm if I am I if I'm removed from those those decisions. Um this is also reflected in Grossman's book on killing where he talks about the further away from the battlefield people got, the more um dehumanizing it became from a from uh swords and some from swords and pikes to nuclear bombs or yeah uh there is this you know from swords and pikes to the atom bomb the further the person gets away is away from the act of doing the thing the more impersonal it becomes and the difference it produces different different effects on the individual right it's not it's not like it's not something to um it's not something to just 
end there. It's like we recognize these things. We want to order our world in such a way or we want to order our lives in such a way where we are making decisions and we understand the consequences of them. We see things, whether it's lying, like lying is trying to change the consequences of our actions through deception or, um, you know, or, or, or change the world, not change the world in a good way, but like we see issues there, right? If you're, if you're looking at security or you're looking at individuals, um, in rights to bear arms or, or the way that they view their own livelihoods, we don't want to, we don't want to disassociate people from their world. We don't want to disconnect them from everything. No, the world is a dangerous place and there's hardships to be handled, but we also don't, we like, we don't want to turn people into autonomized individuals. It's not the right word. It's not automatized. It's atomized to such extent. We don't want to treat the world like we are so divorced from the consequences of our actions that we begin to wonder if anything is real to begin with. Because it's bad for our health. It's bad for our mental health. And it, and it sounds kind of, I know like even saying that kind of sounds a little bit like um, maybe even patronizing. And so I got to, I want to, I need to continue working on how I think about that because it's, it's been an, it's been an interesting dilemma, like not dilemma. It's been an, an interesting thing to think about because when we isolate people from their actions and their choices, it doesn't reflect well on their mental well-being. So, mm -hmm. you know, you subtract their agency and it doesn't make them better. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't put them in a better situation. It's probably the better way of saying it. The consequences of it are, are painful. So we're getting a pretty abstract here. And yes. so let's, let's, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's start. I, I, Cause we wanted to talk about this way in, and I, how I think about it too is like, this is where I have a problem with libertarianism is we can't just leave each other alone entirely universally. Cause we interact with each other. And that is where I have some difficulties with what libertarianism as a governance structure produces versus libertarianism as a series of ideals. Okay. Um, yeah, man, I think I'm going to, I got to get up at 420 in the morning. So I think I'm going to call it and save the libertarianism versus conservatism for next one. Is that okay? Yeah, no, I think we can. Let's close it off then. Um, let's close it off. So do you have any, like, where do you want to go with this as we wrap it up? Yeah, I want to hear what's next for Redacted. Um, I want to skip over the government part of it um, or or fly over it quickly uh, and then get to uh, how your conversation has changed on Redacted uh, and what that's going to look like uh, in the near future. So, Yeah, so from the beginning of setting out to start up Redacted, one of the primary goals and observations that informed that goal was that gun culture in our era has moved forward astronomically when it comes to equipment and gear and even training right and it's a good thing a good progression so you, we brought up jared from orion training group and jared has done uh he has done he, he well you can't say he's done nothing he's done quite a bit for gun culture within his own frame of uh influence to address things with training for example he does open enrollment courses for cqb for anyone right and that thinking of that idea 10 years ago would have been anathema. It just wouldn't have there. It was like outside of the realm of perception. So, you know, the, some of the old ideas of gun culture was have, have changed and the generation has completely shifted. And we saw this with the interaction that happened with Liberty safe, but 
so with redacted we recognize that it's not really the you know gear there's it's not gear that we're working on now it although you know i have my ideas it's not a gun culture isn't about gear it isn't just about training and skill sets it's about our values and gun culture or the american individual <clears throat> has access to the equipment necessary to uh self-defense we do we can we can we can pursue a lot of that right you can buy guns night vision plate carriers body armor whatever you want you can pay for the training you can go into that environment absolutely the thing that we're missing then is you have the you have the physical tools you have the skill sets that are tools but what about the intellectual tools and it goes into the important ideas that go into something like just war theory and what do we think to be right and true and good and where do we base our morals in and how do we run into ethical questions an example is um if you if you've come to realize that you don't trust your government it can be a world shattering experience or it can just be another day in the war in the in the hood i guess if that's the phrasing that pe people want to say and that doesn't mean though that we have um as our worldview changes in that environment that doesn't mean that we get a free pass to choose cynicism and I think the issue that we're running into when it comes to these intellectual tools and these ideas and what we believe about is that uh, we've seen some people rise to the occasion and, and start addressing that situation, and I wanted to address it head on. So instead of doing gear and culture or training and culture, I specifically want to do culture and philosophy. How do we think about guns? How do we think about the Second Amendment? What is it? What are the ideas behind the Second Amendment that have that were set into place? Do we agree with them? What are they? How do we understand them? And things like how do we understand violence and how do we understand morality when it comes to violence and how do we understand disciplining and training ourselves in such a way that you are going to make wise choices in environments instead of thinking of it so simply as I need to train so that I can defend my family. It's that. I train so that I will be able to defend my family and I, and, and defending my family is the right thing to do. And part of being trained is knowing the use of force. And so we build those ideas into our culture that as gun culture continues to get more complicated through different kit, it also has a great opportunity because of the reinforced desire for understanding our rights and what they are grounded in, our philosophy, and how do we think about the world, our worldview, and how do we formate it, for, formulate it, and understand it, and how do we interact with one another in such a way where we honor our values as opposed to offending them. And so Redacted is moving, has moved, I used to do a lot of big, long interviews, and if you want to, we've had Adam, uh, admin results on, Aaron is a great guest, we've had, you know, people well, you've from- You've had Aaron on? Yeah, we've had Aaron on. We've had a, a whole swath of people across gun culture, right? We've had um, Ethan Walters, Gypsy Walters, he's known as. We've had um, you know, uh, uh, Isaac Botkin from T-Rex Arms. And for where I stood in gun culture, I saw all these different camps, and I wanted to be able to have conversations with all of them to focus on how we think about things. Because as we go a little bit higher off of the stratosphere, whether it's gun and training and kit, we get to what our actual values are. And we are not united because we all like multicam black. We're united because we have the <laughs> same values. And that is where I think there, it's not that where I'm calling for unity. I'm trying, I am being the point by which we can have communications on it. So we've had, we've got a series of long form interviews that are available through our podcast, which is the redacted culture cast. But then in the mornings, I've been putting out these shorter ones, about 15, 20, 25 minutes long, 
that will address a topic like uh we did one on the euthyphro dilemma we, we a topic like the idea of telos the idea of uh, the teleological argument we've done ones on juice we're going to continue to work on juice ad bellum versus juice in bella which is just war theory and so it is sort of that philosophy class from somebody who has studied philosophy in its rigorous format not in its hippy dippy format and then someone who's gone to war and seen quite seen a little bit of it and and i want to make sure that we can bring those two things together is that um the philosophy of violence is something that we cannot leave forsaken to be determined by people who have no idea what they're talking about so i you know, know I, that's it's a kind of a harsh way to close it and i apologize for that no i i, I think it's needed and, and i've always admired what what you've done with uh with redacted i haven't listened to as many as what i want to but i think that kind of that goes with the uh what i've learned in being a podcaster is that podcasters never listen to podcasts <laughs> well um, we've been I've been recording for a year and there is a lot of material there. And I realized that I was putting out too much material and I wanted to start refining it a little bit and going back to the roots. And one of those things is that like, I am an un unashamed Christian and I believe that one fundamental element of the right to bear arms is grounded in Christian theology, which states that we are created in the image of God. And if you subtract that core, that cornerstone even of that, that philosophy out it becomes very difficult to maintain any concept of rights without just borrowing from other ideas. I'm not saying it's impossible. Some people will try. I'm not throwing everybody out, but that's where we live in this world. We can respect each other and engage in ideas. And if you can't do that, then I, have fun, I guess. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I agree with a lot with what you're doing. And I think it's, I think it is needed to, to be able to understand violence and understand the philosophy behind it. And I think you have a very unique skill set and set of experiences uh, to be the, uh, I guess, instead of warrior poet, maybe the warrior philosopher. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a, and I love John Lovell. Um, like I, I think he's awesome. Uh, I eventually, if he, he's very good at hiding uh, ways of communication, otherwise I would have reached him by now, but um, I, I, I I admire John Lovell's commitment. I admire, I admire John Lovell's work. I think it is, I think he puts a lot of, I, I think he spent a lot of time honing his craft. And one day I'd like to be um, as sharp as his production is. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that you're taking that next step. Like, I think, I think you're, you're, you're deeper into it. I think that the values that he's got, uh, at least from where I understand him, again, I haven't spent much time in his content, but uh, from what I understand his, his values to to he seems to be kind of an uh, an unappreciated OG of those values, uh, from from what I've seen. Um, he, something yeah. So I I was there. I remember when John Lovell started, and one of the things that put him on the map is that he was combining the warrior and the poet, and he did that very well. As much yep. as you know, whether or not people are for him or against him, and then and that is even not even like let it go right. I think that one thing that John Lovell did and attracted even attracted me to his work is that I could watch John Lovell's videos and get something that was related to firearms and training, or I could get something into how he thought about stuff and how he thought about faith and how he thought about living correctly. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to pick up on that riff and focus more on the poet side, more on the philosophy side. Mm -hmm. um, because I could, I can engage in the training and the skill set piece but the other side, the the philosophy and our ethics and our values is the part that really moves me. 
So. And I think I, I say all that to say, I think you're taking that baton. Well, um, I think, yeah, I think you're taking that baton. Well, and I apologize for interjecting, but I am so excited that you had admin on. I've got to go listen to that episode. Um, yeah, that is uh, one dude that I, I've got to get him. I, I was, I've got to get him on. Um, but is, is he as cool as, as what he seems? Is he as cool as what he seems? Every conversation that I've had with Aaron, who is admin results has been a, 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 a is a conversation I left better off. He's, he's a respectful man and I, and I appreciate him. So that is, uh, that, is, that is one of those, like, it's one of those where I want to meet my heroes, but I'm also worried that, you know, like never meet your heroes and everything I hear about him is that he's just awesome. And so, um, I, I, I need to meet him eventually, but, um, yeah. That's yep. so cool. Admin didn't owe me anything at all, but he chose to come on the show. He came on episode 69 because it's a great joke. And, <laughs> and I am very thankful for it. And I look forward to having another conversation with him in the future. That's that's awesome. Um, well, man, we both got big things going on. I really appreciate you pinch hitting um and 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 stepping in. Uh, you know, my time, uh, I'm sure is your time is uh getting more and more scarce and more and more valuable. And, uh, and this is nothing to the guy that if he listens to this, you know, stuff happens, he's already texted me and apologized, uh, you know, that, that he, that he had to miss it. But, um, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and filling that role. Cause I've got work trips. I've got all this stuff going on. Uh, when I set out a block of time to be able to record an episode, uh, if I don't get to record an episode in that time, uh, it, it really sucks. And so I don't think you under you may or may not understand um, how cool it is to be able to reach out to somebody like you and get a good quality episode um, out of one that was originally thought as to be botched. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, appreciate all of your, uh, all of your information. Do you have anything, anything for us? Any last words? Sure. Well, one thing that we can do better at gun culture is we have to hold each other accountable, but also provide paths to redemption. And if it's, if it is purely a game of justice, where every single infraction must be completely punished to the end extent, but there's no room for mercy and forgiveness and, and reconciliation, then we will find ourselves on rocky ground real quickly. However, if we hold no standards and we are just all full of grace and kindness, uh, I think that leads to its own form of death. Mercy and justice must exist in compatibility with one another. They must live in tension with one another. And if you take one without the other, you corrupt the one. So that's kind of what I am is that philosophy does not need to be a story or a study that is all wishy-washy and navel gazing. If you want to engage in it, I more power to you. Just my suggestion is take your time and be deliberate. But that being said though, Haas, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad that I was a available to be available at this time. And I hope that we have a conversation again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. We will do. And uh, hopefully we'll get to the point where that can be in person. I really do want to shake your hand. So uh, yeah, if at any well, point, let's do ahead. it. Let's do it sometime. Yeah, for sure. If you're ever driving through Amarillo, Texas, which most people do try to avoid. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you're ever in a point where you're forced to go down I-40, uh, let me know and uh, and we'll shake hands. But Forrest, it's been awesome. I'm going to go ahead and uh, hit end on the uh, recording. Uh, and then if you'll stay back, I've just got like 30 seconds of we have to talk business about the episode. So, um, sure thing. cool. Let's, let's close it off. Thanks very yep. much. Thanks everybody. Bye.